Chapter 37 Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here. The man answered, I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, 
slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said. In mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Before we can launch into Genesis 37, we need to understand a bit of the background behind the Joseph narrative. Now, if you look there in verse 2, it says here, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Now, this is the account of, in Hebrew, it's the word toledoth, which can mean like genealogy or account. It's a break in the narrative. And Genesis has a number of different toledoths. And Genesis 37, it's a description of Jacob's family. Now, one of the things which probably no one has done, I can imagine, is actually read Genesis chapter 36. Genesis 36 is the genealogy of Esau, Jacob's older twin brother. Now, as is the pattern in Genesis, the elder son is not favored compared to the younger one. So we go right back to Genesis 4. We have Cain and Abel. Cain the elder, his sacrifice is rejected by Yahweh in favor of Abel, who is the youngest son's sacrifice. We have Isaac and Ishmael. Um, we have Jacob and Esau. And now we have Joseph and his brothers. But in Genesis 36, we're given this account of Esau's descendants. And it's interesting that Esau's descendants end up being kings and rulers, really quite successful people. And so our assumption is in Genesis chapter 37 and onwards that if Esau, the less favored son, has uh, descendants who are kings and rulers and really powerful people, then imagine what his line's going to be. And we find just a family that is in turmoil. It's a complete and utter disaster. And again, uh, we have to go back a few chapters to understand what's happening in Genesis 37. And in an account which probably not many people have read, Genesis 34 describes the raping of Jacob's only daughter, Dinah, by a man called Shechem at a town called Shechem. And we will encounter Shechem later on in the Joseph narrative. And in response to being raped by Dinah, um, her brothers Simeon and Levi trick Shechem and the men of the town of Shechem into being circumcised. And there they kill all the males, take the women and children from the town. And it, it, what is was a terrible act that happened to Dinah, uh, their response is just way too dramatic and over the top. And it removes some of the favor Jacob has upon Simeon and Levi. 
And in Genesis 35, we have another example of how messed up this family is. Uh, we, with the death of Rachel, now Rachel was uh, Jacob's favorite wife. And with the death of Rachel, Reuben decides to sleep with her maidservant, women called, a woman called Bilhah. Now, the reason Reuben does this is he's trying to take over the place of his father. Or he's trying to ensure that Bilhah, the, the maidservant of the favoured wife of his father, doesn't have supremacy. Because Reuben is the son of Leah, who is Rachel's unfavoured wife. And so that's just a bit of context here for Genesis 37, is that the, the seed of Abraham, who we would assume to be this righteous and holy family, is anything but that. Uh, we have here these brothers who commit acts of great violence, brothers who try to usurp the authority of their father. We have another brother in Judah who will sleep with a Canaanite woman. And obviously we see the brothers here, they're prone to great violence, like their ancestor Cain. But here we see in the Joseph narrative, God is working through all of that. And so as we come here to Genesis chapter 37, uh, we meet here characters that are quite flawed, characters which need a lot of growing. But in all of this, the, the purpose of reading this narrative is to see God at work. And we, and we see this uh, multiple times through Joseph's dream. That, that's from God. Uh, we see even just the, the seemingly random details that happen running into the unknown man, unnamed man at Shechem. That, that's all God's handiwork going on there. And so this gives us a wonderful picture of a broken family who God uses to accomplish his purposes. And Joseph, unlike his brothers, he actually is a man who <clears throat> is quite righteous. And yeah, like all of us, he has faults. And when we're introduced to him, he's at the age of 17. And there he's with his half-brothers, the sons of Zulfa and Bilhah. And there Joseph, he is presented to us as a shepherd. It's a hint of what type of ruler he will be to come. But Jacob, despite what we'll see, is a man who is a great righteous character, a man who accepts a number of things quite humbly and sees God's hand in all of it. He still has faults. And here we're told that Joseph brings bad report about his brothers. Joseph is the favoured son. And unfortunately, Jacob hasn't learned from history. Uh, when Jacob's parents, Isaac and Rebekah, they had favourites too. Uh, Isaac had a favourite Esau and Re Rebekah's favourite was Jacob. And that caused huge issues. And now history is repeating itself. And so Jacob, by having his favorite son, Joseph, who is the son of his favorite wife, now deceased 
Rachel. It, it elevates Joseph to a status. And it does make him slightly arrogant. And we see this here. He brings a bad report about his brothers. Joseph's a tattletale. He's trying to get more favour from his father. And then as we see here, Joseph loved, this is from verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him an ornate robe for him. Now if we were to think of Joseph, this is probably the most common picture of him, Joseph and the technicolored dream coat. Uh, in the Hebrew, we're not... 100% too sure exactly what this robe is, but it's probably not a multicolored dream coat. It, it's a coat which symbolizes probably length. It's a long coat, and it, and it would mean some sort of royal coat for a royal figure. It, it's Jacob's way of setting Joseph apart from his brothers. I told him when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And so that's the picture. Life in Jacob's family. Jacob, who is meant to be this patriarch, the one that brings in the promise of Abraham. Here's how his sons are. They're reduced to hatred of their brother Joseph. And Joseph, uh, he doesn't bother too many, he doesn't bring too many favors upon himself when one day, or I should say one evening, Joseph has a dream. And this will, be, this will come up lots of times in the Joseph narrative Joseph having dreams. And Joseph doesn't have one dream, he has two dreams. And we'll see this too. The the, the, in prison, there's the baker and the cupbearer. There's two dreams there. Pharaoh has two dreams. And, and in this dream, Joseph, the first one, he sees, he dreams that they were binding sheaves out of the grain of the field, and his sheaf came up on top. And all the others gathered, bowed down before him. And his brothers asked this, Do you intend to rule over us? It's a foreshadowing of what Joseph will do. It's prophecy. Joseph is a prophet in many ways. But how it's going to happen, well, that's left for us to understand when we read the rest of the narrative. And they hate him even more because of this. And then Joseph, he has another dream. He tells his brothers, he said, this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing before him. And this time, even Jacob gets furious at Joseph. And, he's, and he says, Will your mother and I, your brothers, actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And this just stokes the jealousy of his brothers. And you start to notice in, in Old Testament narratives, uh, any kind of repetition of key words. So I see here, brothers are jealous. Brothers hated him. It's building up this tension that Joseph's life is in danger. And Jacob can't see this. He, we're told here that he keeps the mind in 
matter. Well, he thinks about it, but he fails to recognize the danger that Joseph now is in. And the fact that Joseph had this dream twice tells us the certainty of it. And so as the reader, we're, we're, we're left with this like, okay, how is this dream going to be fulfilled? Uh, unlike the modern world, dreams in the ancient world were seen as having great value. So the fact that Joseph had this dream twice, it, it tells us that, well, something powerful is going to happen. And the brothers, they hate him and are jealous of him because they recognize, well, Joseph is going to do something amazing. And this is one of the emphasis for why they kill him. Anyway, as, as time progresses, the, the brothers are out uh, grazing their flocks near Shechem. And now again, this is not just some random incidental town. Shechem is the place where the the man Shechem raped their sister Dinah. And after Simeon and Levi went in and killed the males and the rest of the brothers took the women and children and livestock, uh, Jacob's response to what the brothers did at Shechem was, you, you've made me hated by the rest of the Canaanites. So the fact that the, the brothers have gone to Shechem, it's very, very interesting because their lives are at risk and so now for whatever reason that they're there joseph sends jacob sends joseph there to check on his brothers he says they go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me and then he sends him off and now this is the part of Old Testament narratives that we just have to understand that nothing happens here randomly. And in fact, this is, I feel that this unnamed man is one of the most important characters in all the narrative. We're told here uh, from verse 15, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. Now, there's some really interesting things happening here. Joseph here, he's wandering around it's just, it's just he it's like he's lost he's in danger he is outside of his father's protection and they're encountering this man this is no accident this man here is has been placed by Yahweh himself to bring about the fulfillment of the dream the dreams that he's had and, and so this is how we see God. God is always the central character in an Old Testament narrative. He is present, but hidden. And so that's how we're going to read this, is that God is orchestrating these events for his purposes. And the purposes are to, for Joseph to bring salvation to his family. But it's in a way that Joseph, or even us as the reader, would really expect. And so as Joseph continues on his journey and he finds them there near Dotham, 
They see him at a distance, and before they reach him, they plot to kill him. And they say, here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then let's see what comes of his dreams. Now in Hebrew, I actually love the description of Joseph. Instead of saying, here comes the dreamer, here comes the master dreamer, the Baal dreamer, the Lord dreamer. And so because Joseph had this dream and the brothers assuming that this, this dream is going to come true because he's had it not once but twice. If we kill him, then the dream can't come to pass. Then, then it cannot be fulfilled. And the, the, the recognition of Joseph is probably from his long coat. They've seen his long royal robe that sets him apart. And there they seek to kill him. And while, and while the, the focus of the Joseph narrative is, understandably, Joseph, uh, the, the other brothers play a key role. And it's the key role in the whole meta-narrative of Genesis. Who is going to be the seed to crush the head of the serpent, as foretold in Genesis chapter 3? And so, so far as we've seen in Genesis, the elder son isn't necessarily the one who is favoured. So Reuben, he, the eldest son, he seeks to save Joseph's life. And the reason why Reuben is seeking to save his brother is to find favor from Jacob once more. But it's interesting too, despite the brother's anger and jealousy, they, Reuben recognizes, don't shed any blood. Blood, blood in the ancient world, it, it was seen as the life source of a person. And after Cain killed Abel, his blood continues to cry out from the ground, seeking justice. It, like Reuben wants to preserve himself and his brothers. But also too, get some favor back from Jacob. So let's not kill him. Let's not take his blood. Let's just strip him of his robe. And, and the, the stripping there, it's like, what you would do to an animal, he's stripped, he's thrown into this dry well, which, which the narrator needs to make that quite clear because even without water, the fact that if there was mud at the bottom of this, uh, he, Joseph could drown. And so Joseph here, even in the violent action of his brothers, he's still being divinely protected there there is no water within it and then after throwing their brother callously down into the well they sit down have a meal and they look up and see a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead and so there's some interesting textual things you've got Changes from Ishmaelites to Midianites to Ishlamites. And essentially, the, the caravans may have both Ishmaelites and Midianites. And there's another irony, too, in these characters or these, these people traveling is that Ishmaelites and Midianites are both relatives of, of Abraham. These are descendants. These are like half-half brothers, so to speak. These are, these are cousins that they're selling them off to. And so, as this caravan is heading for Egypt, 
they pick up, they drag Joseph out of the well. This is, and this is Judah's idea. And so Judah is another important brother in the Joseph narrative. Uh, Judah, he is the fourth son of Jacob. And so far, Reuben, Simeon, Levi have knocked themselves out of contention. And Judah, the fourth son, he is now the one that's going to be favored by Jacob. And again, this makes no sense to us. Uh, when you read, we'll learn, we'll learn more about Judah next week. When you learn about Judah, you think this guy is not honorable. This guy is not righteous. So why is he chosen? And, and again, it speaks into a really deep theology, which Old Testament narratives have. And it can be boiled down to God uses people who we do not expect. In the expectation, if we go back to Genesis 6, is that Esau, his descendants are rulers and kings and really powerful people. You look at Jacob's family, it's just chaos. But here, we're getting more and more just glimpses of God's grace and God's mercy and the type of people God uses to fulfill his purposes. And so there the brothers drag out Joseph, pull him out of the cistern, and they sell him for 20 shekels of silver. And he's taken to Egypt. And then when Reuben returns to the cistern, sees that Joseph's not there, he tears his clothes. And he says, what am I going to do? And so the brothers come up with a plan. And they use the rope and they slaughter an animal and cover it in blood and they take it back to their father and they ask him we found this examine it and see whether see it's to see whether it is your son's robe and it's very interesting the brothers here just leave it implied they don't tell their father that well an animal's killed him they let jacob make the assumption and for, for the reader of Genesis, there's a real irony here, is that Jacob deceived his blind father Isaac. He put on his brother's Esau clothes. He put on animal skin to, to, to cover up he, the, his hairlessness because Esau was so hairy. And, and here now, his sons are doing the exact same thing. They're using deception to fill their purposes. There's this sort of pattern that is happening. And we're seeing here this, this characterization of Jacob. He's a weak man who cannot control his sons. And this is the man who's been called to be the seed of Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And jo Jacob tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, and all his sons and daughters, they try to comfort him. But he refuses. And he says, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And there's an interesting irony there because while Jacob is mourning for his son, Joseph is there heading to Egypt. Now, in biblical geography, Egypt is down from Canaan, but Egypt is also known as uh, symbolic of the underworld. And so there's this irony here that 
Jacob's mourning for his son who's gone down to the grave, where Joseph hasn't actually gone to Sheol, the grave, but he's gone down to Egypt, which symbolizes the underworld. And there from the underworld, so to speak, symbolically, Joseph will bring life. And we're just told he sold in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's official, the captain of the guard. And that sets up the Joseph narrative. What's going to happen now to Joseph? And Genesis 38, it pauses the narrative and we're left kind of wondering, oh, what's going to happen to Joseph in Egypt? But we see here in these events some fulfillment of prophecy. Yahweh told Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 15 that his descendants would spend 300 years in Egypt in captivity and there they will come out. And so that's beginning to happen. Uh, we, we've, it's part of this conflict with the brothers. We are encountering a new Cain and Abel. And Joseph here, he is Abel, the seemingly righteous man who is killed by the jealous, angry brothers. But from this, we always see that God does something from this, from tragedy. So Cain and Abel, the, the tragic death of Abel leads to the birth of Seth which then leads to the continuation of the righteous line of Adam. The, the conflict between Isaac and Ishmael leads to Isaac being elevated. The conflict between Jacob and Esau leads to Jacob's descendants being blessed by Yahweh. And so here we're left going, okay, the brothers are in conflict, but God is going to do something miraculous from this. And so I suppose from a practical perspective, we do this. It, it can be hard, particularly reading a book like Genesis, where we just read a narrative. I just think, okay, that's cool. We start off with Joseph, who his brothers hate, has a dream, gets a coat, and thrown to a wall and sold into Egypt. What sort of practical things can I learn from my life from that? And so one of the things, too, we, we get this theme of the righteous sufferer and for future israelites who would read the passages of the hebrew scriptures it's this powerful reminder okay things right now seem terrible we are righteous we, we're trying to obey the torah we're trying to do what we can but it feels like we are thrown into a well and so but yet when we see from this if it wasn't for that man at Shechem who directed Joseph to Dotham, if it wasn't for the jealousy of the brothers and the hatred and murderous intent to throw him into the world, Joseph never would have been sent to Egypt. And so it creates a lot of tension of like divine sovereignty, human responsibility. And the brothers' actions are evil. And we don't know it at the time, but later on the brothers, they will say, didn't Joseph beg for his life for us? He, he begged them not to do this. This wasn't a nice, pleasant event to go through. And so that, that leaves that tension. But tension of bad things happening, but God using something good from that. And so as the Israelite readers, 
you can draw comfort from that. There's not just random events in life. God's hand is upon that. I think too, for us as, as Christians, we can actually look to Joseph as a type of Jesus. Uh, we, we all think of Judas Iscariot. Uh, Judas is actually the Greek form of the Hebrew Judah. And so it's quite interesting that Joseph is betrayed by Judah or Judas. And Jesus too is betrayed by another Judah or Judas. Uh, Joseph has his robe taken off and covered in blood. And Jesus too is stripped naked by jealous brothers as well. He's the very own people he came to save. And so in, in Joseph, we see this foreshadowing of Jesus, of the righteous people who are abused, who are rejected. And yet God's going to do something powerful from this. So as we just leave uh, Genesis 37 and Joseph there entering into Egypt, into Potiphar's household, we are reminded here when things seem terrible, God has a plan. God has a purpose. And we may not know what that is. But friends, let's take heart from that. And just to see how even in the midst of the most dysfunctional family you could think of, God still uses them. And God uses the tragedy of Joseph to bring about a greater salvation. A salvation that if it had not happened, you and I would not be here today. Because Jesus Christ would never have been born. So let's pray now. And for those of us who are suffering, those of us who are left wondering, we can read a text like this and just say, okay, God's hands on the seemingly random details of life. I can draw comfort from that. Let's pray together. Hey Lord, as we see in Genesis 37, just the dysfunctional nature of Jacob's family. And Father Lord, we see your goodness and your kindness. And so even though you're not front and center in this, we just see what you are doing, how you work all things to fulfill your purposes. And Lord, right now, perhaps we feel like we are stuck at the bottom of a well. And we've been betrayed, we've been hated. And Lord, we may not know why we're being shipped off to Egypt. But Lord, you have a plan. And so we just have to trust in that plan for our lives. And so we just thank you for that. Just pray your blessing upon us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.